If we go back about a week and two days in time, we'll find ourselves again at the celebration of Good Friday. And we all know what this celebration is about, what really is the idol or what is the core of what we're celebrating that day, that Jesus died on the cross. And so we celebrate his passion and we relive it in a very vivid way. But as we go through, we see all sorts of different scenes, we have all sorts of different signs, we have a lot to behold. But let's stop for a moment and consider whenever we look at the cross. Because in particular, we see Jesus' body hanging from that cross, and we notice that on his side is that little place and that wound where he was pierced with a lance from the soldier. And we know what happened. Whenever he was pierced with that lance, that blood and water poured forth and they gushed out, and likely we've seen depictions of this before. And we think about how vivid that is and what a beautiful and powerful image that Jesus was pouring out his very life blood to each and every one of us. But I dare say that day, whenever he was pouring forth his blood from the cross and whenever water gushed from his side, it wasn't just those two visible things, but there was actually something invisible that was pouring forth as well at this moment. Because in fact, as much as we can get fixated on the visible and tangible realities of the crucifixion, there's an invisible reality that is powerful as well, and that is the pouring forth of God's mercy. Now, we may not think of it all that much because we don't see mercy pouring forth from Jesus' side, at least not in a literal way, and yet it's very much a part of what is celebrated whenever we celebrate Jesus' passion, his death, and his resurrection. And that's why we celebrate it when we come to this day, celebrating Divine Mercy Sunday. But what does it mean for us? What does it mean for our community? What does it mean for the entire world to be able to celebrate this feast of Divine Mercy? Perhaps there's a few key insights that we can run into. We start off this morning and we hear from the book of the Acts of the Apostles. This is very early in the life of the church and we can see evidence of this because it's speaking about all of the different realities that are already taking root and about how there's already a number being added to the Lord and his company. But we hear at the very beginning how the disciples and all of those who are gathered in that community, in the early church, how they're continuing to seek after the Lord, that they're praying, that they're going forth, they're preaching, and they're breaking bread. They're celebrating Mass already at that early time. And indeed, it's a powerful witness, but even what's more powerful is the apostles apparently have that gift of the Spirit because they're going forth and they're doing all sorts of signs and wonders that they're performing miracles all in the name of the Lord. And this is a beautiful time of harmony, and we see that the gospel is being spread in a very large and wonderful way, that this is a moment where the Lord has commissioned them and sent them out, and they're being met with a great deal of success. It tells us something about the passion and the zeal with which the apostles and the disciples were speaking and how they were going forth. But notice the moment of grace. That in fact, whenever they're going forth, they're being met with success. That they are in fact creating other disciples. That we are told that God is granting that numbers were being added to them every single day. Isn't that a powerful moment? Because the Acts of the Apostles relays to us just how powerful the message of resurrection was, even in the life of the early church. Then we move on and we hear from St. Peter in his first letter, and he focuses in, hones in, on God the Father and his great mercy, how he bestowed Jesus Christ upon us, how he suffered, died, and then rose again as a sign of that mercy. And indeed, that's what we celebrate right here and right now as we are continuing into the octave of Easter and rounding it out today, and we continue into the Easter season. That in fact, we're celebrating the heart and the part and parcel of what God's mercy is and what it looks like, how it's made very visible to us. 
But the reality is that when we're given that passion, that death, and that resurrection, that's not just something we can kind of use once a year and set to the side. But in fact, it's something that, as Peter is speaking, he's very aware that it needs to be part of every day. That in the good moments, in the bad moments, in the moments in between, that we should always be adhering to that. But what is the final goal of the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Eternal salvation. And Peter's very aware of this, and he states it very clearly so that people don't kind of behold Christ's risen glory and kind of put it to the side or kind of bracket it off, but instead that they live in that passion and that zeal and, in fact, live in the glory of that resurrection. St. Peter wants to remind them of that. He wants to make it very real and very tangible. Then finally, we arrive at the Gospel according to John. And here we have two particular encounters of the disciples with Jesus Christ as he's risen from the dead. So the very first one, that we're told that he goes into this locked room where they're in fear, they're gathered and afraid. And so he says the first thing that comes to mind, the first thing they need to hear, peace be with you. Then he breathes on them, he gives them that gift of the Spirit, and sends them out. He commissions them to go forward to forgive sins and to even retain those that need to be retained. But the Gospel also continues, and it tells us about how the Lord, as he appears to the disciples, there's one that had the misfortune of being away, and that is Thomas. And Thomas, whenever he comes back into communion with the disciples, he hears that they tell him they, they have seen the Lord. And what does Thomas respond? Unless I see the mark of the nails, unless I put my fingers into the nail marks, unless I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And it's a powerful moment because we can almost look at Thomas and say, how could you do that? You've lived and you've worked with the Lord for three years, and yet you have the audacity to say that you don't believe that he is risen just yet. But notice we go a little further into that gospel, and then we see that the Lord appears again, and he says, peace be with you. He continues with that same greeting, and then he points at Thomas and says, put your finger into the nail marks and put your hand into my side. Be not unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas immediately is filled with faith, and he finally gets the point. But Jesus is aware of the, how this looks and how this is perceived. He says, blessed are they who have not seen and still believe. That Thomas might have gotten the point, he might have gotten a very visible witness and testimony to the Lord's resurrection, but it's still more of an opportunity than he had realized. Yet nonetheless, he's there. He believed and that he witnessed the Lord altogether. And then John goes forward and he tells about how all of these different things that are written in the Gospels, even though there are far more than could be written, these are all written so that we may believe and that we may have faith and that we might have life in Christ Jesus. But as we consider all of these things, we continue with that theme of mercy. What is it telling us? What is it encouraging us to do as a people of faith right here and right now, even though we are thousands of years removed from that time? First, if we return to the first letter from Peter, we're reminded of that reality of the glory of the Easter mystery, the way that the Lord has suffered and died and has risen again. This is a powerful moment that we are freed from sin, but it's a first and foremost testimony to the mercy of God. Because we could not have restored ourselves into relationship with the Lord ourselves. We could not have brought ourselves into the kingdom of heaven as much as we could have desired it. We could not have opened the gates ourselves. But God can, and he sent his son with that very intent and that very purpose to blow open the doors of heaven so that we could enter in again. 
That, first and foremost, is a sign of God's love for us, but ultimately of his mercy because we didn't deserve that. We didn't in any way merit what happened, and yet the Lord sent him to us anyway. That's really what we celebrate in Easter. The fact that the Lord suffered, died, and rose again. That sign and that very visible testimony and witness to the Lord's resurrection and to his mercy. But then we continue on because we know that this is a great mystery. It's a great sign of hope for the entire world, as St. Peter would say. But what about our own community? Because if we go back to the Acts of the Apostles, we realize that whenever they're speaking and they're going around, they're preaching, they're telling the good news, and they're breaking bread, they're celebrating Mass. It's about that life of the community. But they're not just reserving it to themselves, but in fact they're going out and they're looking for those ways they can testify to every people, so much so that God was adding numbers to them each and every day. That in fact the disciples were aware and the apostles were aware that they first and foremost were recipients of God's mercy. That they had done nothing to merit to be in relationship with God or even to be the first witnesses to Jesus Christ's resurrection. And yet they were there. And what do they do with that? They go out and they spread that mercy, that that first sign, that first testimony that they have, that they go forward and they tell the entire world about what has happened. And indeed, because of that, they strengthen, they build up the community. It's the same way for us, that as much as we witness and as much as we bear testimony, as much as we experience God's mercy, it's also for us to go forward and to tell the good news to all the world. Then finally we get to the gospel and we're reminded of that story of Thomas. It can be so easy to look at Thomas and blame him and say, how dare he? How could he, after all of that time and after all of the things that have gone on, still doubt the Lord and still doubt his resurrection? But here's the truth. We are Thomas. We are the ones that struggle. We are the ones that weren't there whenever the Lord appeared. And we are the ones that so often kind of shirk that reality of his resurrection and the testimony of others, and we kind of go off and do our own thing. Perhaps we sin. Perhaps we fall to weakness or vulnerability. Or maybe we don't do the things that we should. Or maybe we struggle with grief, with fear, with anxiety, with all of these different things that caused Thomas to choke that day. And yet, then Jesus appears. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't blame him. He doesn't turn to him in all sorts of anger. He's not frustrated with Thomas, but instead he turns to him in mercy and love and still appears to him anyway. He sees his need. He sees his want. He sees how he doesn't have that gift of faith just yet because he did blow that opportunity. He did blow that uh, ability to give testimony to his faith, but it wasn't there just yet. And Thomas was very vulnerable, and he spoke about that reality, and he was very bold in doing so. And in fact, the Lord responded, and in his mercy and love, he restored him to that right relationship again. In fact, that's a reminder for each and every one of us. Because as much as we might blame Thomas, as much as we might look down upon him, or we might give him a side eye or a sort of glance, in fact, we are the ones that also do the same thing. That we need God's mercy. That in times we struggle with our own belief, our own faith, our own testimony to the Lord. And in fact, we are the ones that are restored to right relationship with God. Because Jesus understands and he wants to, us to return to him. Then, in fact, it's an option for us to receive that mercy. It's not something that he's going to force us to do. But in fact, he wants us to seek him again. And he gives us every opportunity and every chance to do so. That in rea reality is what we should pray for this week, my brothers and sisters. As much as we speak about mercy and often in a generic and very ethereal way, 
mercy comes to each and every one of us in very visible and very tangible ways. Each of us need God's mercy in some way right here and right now. Each of us need him to understand or come to us in a specific way. And the Lord loves us so dearly and so much that he wants to enter into our reality and give us that mercy as well. The challenge for each and every one of us is to approach, like Thomas did, and to really be vulnerable with the Lord and to ask for that gift of his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, but ultimately that gift of faith. Because, my brothers and sisters, as much as we focus on the resurrection in this time, it's a sign of God's mercy. And we can experience that mercy as a community, as a world, and even individually. But nonetheless, it's given to us as a free gift, and it's a sign of God's love for each and every one of us that we have to be willing to reach out and to experience that love in a very special and particular way. And now, for a special and particular way, I want to speak to our first communicants for just a moment.